as many people might be sort of thinking, look, websites, we're just getting our heads around websites and so on. But there is an unanswered question which was uh, put forward a wee while ago, which is why do people still use websites instead of apps? Who came up with that question? Well, only the CEO of 22 Apps, the awesomely talented Matthew McGregor, who we're connecting with now. Matthew, how are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me here, Alex. Great to connect with your good self. Now, is it true you actually came up with the whole idea for 22 apps on a skiing trip? Um, yeah, literally. So we were, we were going down the hill and, um, uh, um, and we're like riding. We were, we were racing, actually. We were flying down in a million miles an hour. It was really fun. Um, and we're going back up the, the chairlift. And uh, for the past six months, I was really thinking to myself, you know, man, all of my clients have never really ever gotten interest or a prospect or a sale or something from their website. And like, like, why is that? Um, and then I kind of realized, huh, you know, all these other larger companies have apps. Why can't, um, you know, smaller businesses mm -hmm. also have apps? And I was going forth with my friend McKelly on that trip. I'm like, huh. Maybe I'll look into this type of thing. Well, I suppose it's the equivalent in many ways of uh, Archimedes uh, having that eureka moment when he was in a bath and then running down the street. You know, it's oh, yeah, great. So... You know, he actually sort of went down a ski spur, which was fantastic. Apps obviously stands for applications. We're kind of yeah. getting used to them. They occur on these devices. They occur on these devices. You've got apps all over the place in, in this wonderful world uh, of online material. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what 22 Apps specifically provides for the prospective business and entrepreneur. Sure, totally. So um, what I'm really passionate about is not just creating an app or an application, you know, for iPhone or Android that, um, that just sits around and does nothing like most people's websites. Um, what I'm passionate about and really what we've invented is something called mobile app marketing, mobile app marketing, where um, entrepreneurs are able to actually use uh, a mo their mobile app and build whatever they want in it, whether that's a resource for current clients, or maybe it's um, videos, content, training funnels for future potential clients to educate them on, you know, why, what it is all that's all about their world, why they should participate, things they should learn, and it's eventually going to lead them to purchasing from them. Um, and what I love about mobile apps and the software we've created, uh, it, 22 apps allows people to uh, create their own mobile app for a fraction of the price. So instead of hiring a full development team, you know, you can do it for practically nothing. Um, uh, most apps range in the ballpark of 30 to, you know, 50,000 um, for something to get going. Um, and so we allow anyone to be able to do it and, and build it themselves, which is cool. Um, anyway, the idea behind mobile apps is where uh, people are able to actually have their own community in this own central place where um, instead of having people sit on Facebook or uh, where, you know, they might see your stuff every now and then, but it's really only going to be like 1% of your audience or um, instead of sending them emails, which uh, through email marketing in the, in, in the digital world, you know, half of the emails end up going to spam. Um, people have you on their own, have 
the, the, the entrepreneur, the business, whatever it is, um, on the home screen of their phone where they can access them anytime, any day of the week, and can be pull, also pulled back in through push notifications, which are the little dings that you know, pop up on your phone, like when you get a text message and stuff. There's a wonderful sort of line, which used to be almost a cliche a few years ago in Britain, which was, there's an app for that. And it seems as though we went through yeah. a phase where there's an app for everything. Pretty, we haven't got an app for President of the United <laughs> States, but let's not go that way because that's a, I'm, I'm sure he'd actually use it in his own way. But you know, step away from that one. Um, <laughs> why 22 apps? I mean, I, I, was there a sort of significance in terms of the number 22? Was, was it your age? What, why were we coming up with 22? Good question. So um, uh, that's actually got a little bit of a funny story behind it because um, uh, in the do in the digital domain. Uh, the word app is, um, there's so many registered domains with the word app in it because um, lots of companies end up having their own app and then it's hard to find a domain that actually works. So we actually found this domain that was available, 22 apps, and we're like, huh, this is cool. Like this is, uh, it, it's like this digital sort of uh, almost techie, a little bit nerdy. And uh, and we kind of went with it that way. There's, there's not this big whole and uh, yes, I, I am also 22. So there you are, you see. I, <laughs> on a side I, I, note, it also was that. Yes. Now you've had tremendous success actually already. I was, I was interested in, in terms of the client conversion formula, which was yeah. just one of the sort of key things that I thought is, is impressive from that point of view. I mean, did you a bit like Mozart start off as an entrepreneur when you were like five or six, as opposed to <laughs> uh, you know, writing symphonies and, and, and music? You were saying, I'm going to get this development for marketing. <laughs> Good question, Alex. So um, I actually started when I was, was, was 15 with a video production business. So quite old I then, did. basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, basically, we, um, we did video for small companies that, you know, wanted a super amazing high quality video, but didn't want to pay like three, five, ten thousand dollars to, you know, uh, a super professional company. So we did it for a fraction of the price, which was cool. Um, and then a lot of clients were asking, hey, Matthew, hey, hey, we, we know you do vi good video stuff, but we noticed, we noticed that you also have been doing uh, for yourself, for myself, um, my own website, my own marketing, my own um, uh, webinars, my own funnels, my own, you know, Facebook ads, profiles, all the stuff. And they're like, hey, can you do that for us too? <laughs> and that's actually how my main business, the client conversion formula um, started where I have been for the last three years helping people to uh, get their, um, basically their marketing systems online. Mm -hmm. And um, the, that business essentially was, is, is cash flowing a lot <laughs> as I don't have, you know, an infinite number of team members. It's, yeah. it's just me and a couple of people. So it, it really works well that way. Um, can serve the client at a really high level. And I thought, you know, what better way to make a bigger world than to use some of this capital and build this software. And again, referring back to your team, I noticed you've got your brother involved. Mitchell McGregor yeah. uh, is also connected to that point of view. As you say, kind of Super Mario Brothers, but more slicker. That's the key thing, you know. Sort of <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I mean, Mitchell's there. You've got uh, Colter Pearson as the uh, uh, the chief coder and project manager. Yep. And uh, Catherine Sakali stevens is our social media strategist for yourself. Yes. So, I mean, working within that, I mean, clearly I... I 
most people are now familiar as we enter the third decade of the 21st century of the the the, the tale of um, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, that that Facebook thing, which is so so last decade now. I mean, as you said yourself, <laughs> just just go away, really. And Twitter, oh, different line. Um, is is this something that you know very much? You kind of as yeah, you are a millennial. I mean, I suppose technically you, yeah. you're born just before the turn of the century, but I suppose classified as, as, as a millennial for that. Yeah. Is this something where that revolution, which has really only been accelerated by COVID-19, by coronavirus, because clearly without Zoom, for instance, we would not yeah. be having this conversation now, effectively. So that kind of use of tech and application, no pun intended, of tech, is that something which is kind of at the back of how 22 apps is really taking the opportunity to, to, to fulfill that need. Uh, I would say so. Yes. So, uh, qu- uh, quarter two, um, which would be uh, like quarter two of this year, which is literally just the whole Corona situation, just bad. Um, it's weird. Isn't it? actually, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It was actually our best quarter financially ever. Um, and I think the reason for that is because people are starting to wake up, like you said, and say, oh, um, uh, buddy right now is getting on Facebook. Every right now, everyone right now is, is on social media. We're being bombarded with emails. How can I stand out? Yeah. So that's the main thing we've been getting. How can I Which- stand out? Is at the essence of, of good quality marketing when I mean, you've got to actually brand the pro, promo. As I was once told a few years ago, actually, uh, if the public don't know, they won't go. End of story. <laughs> you know, it's yep. a kind of branding thing that comes through that. 22 apps launched on the 7th of July this year. Were you not tempted yep. to launch as a new Independence Day on the 4th of July? Did that not sort of cross your mind in terms of let's, let's, let's make independence for apps. Let's have our own app Independence Day. Oh, well, I, I live in Canada, uh, so our... There you go, you see, so British Columbia, yeah, yeah precisely. So your Independence Day uh, is yes. a different, completely different time, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I did I did celebrate <laughs> the 4th of July with some of my friends, and uh, and actually someone brought up that exact same point. So, come on, Matt. <laughs> it was <laughs> just a thought. Just three days earlier. Then again, when I think about it, actually, you're... Friends south of the border, Matthew, will probably just be yeah. jealous in any case. So you don't want to add fuel to the fire. You know, you don't want to <laughs> yeah. see yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's bad enough sort of saying, what, they've got the brains in Canada and more. What's going on here? You know, it's what ridiculous. <laughs> Where do you see this going, Matthew? You know, because there are lots of cases of, of sort of almost every day, lots of exciting things developing. I can see lots of, no pun intended again, applications for 22 apps and, and ways <laughs> forward within that. Is this something that you, you think, yeah, let's work with this. We've got a small team. Let's go for that. Or are you already thinking about the next exciting project? Uh, good question. So um, my goal with 22 apps is really to actually change how um, marketing is done when it comes to mobile devices. Um, a lot of people are not most, mar- most marketers don't ever get the conversions they want or they don't get any at all in terms of um, uh, having mobile users end up purchasing their program pro- programs, products, and services. And so um, while we're starting off 22 apps with really focusing on, um, uh, on small business entrepreneurs, um, you know, coaches, consultants, people in health and wellness, um, it really is in our 
going to expand so greatly to also things like schools, to organizations, to larger companies, to, um, to nonprofits, to, um, uh, I've actually been getting a lot of interest from, um, uh, like, uh, ho like housing, housing companies, project, ma uh, uh, um, property management companies, these sorts of things who want to have an app for their apartment complex. Um, so there's all sorts of applications we see, huh, what if everyone was able to create their own app for their own unique situation? Um, that's really our vision of how large we're looking to take it. It's really interesting looking at some of the uh, affirmations on the website, 22 Apps website. Uh, here's what I love about Matthew McGregor and 22 Apps. They're genuine, brilliant, and so fast. Uh, when I first started working with the team, I was pleasantly surprised with how they developed. People at 22 Apps have been the best for all sorts of things. I mean, all, all coming from you know, respected uh, members of, of production teams, uh, production-based things. So clearly you're doing something right on that basis, which is excellent. Is this an international option? I mean, can people who are listening to this in Britain, in Australia, is this something which, yeah, okay, let's connect with 22 apps. Can they contact you? Absolutely. Um, uh, it works in all, uh, all countries that have, uh, uh, you know, the iPhone app store and the Android uh, Google Play Store. So we won't talk about spread. China then. We'll step, we'll step yes. aside from that. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah, exactly. Literally. <laughs> we don't want to go TikTok at this stage. No, no. <laughs> don't mind entirely. Um, um, but actually, is that, from the point of view of internet security, that's something where, shall we say, more mature folk sometimes get really okay. panicky about in terms of, yeah, this is fine, but what if I install this app and it takes all my data away? G good question. Um, so there's certain things we're setting up with the software to um, so determine what uh, what information it pulls and what information it doesn't, and then you will actually have some of the ability to like say, oh, I want it to do this, or ah, I don't really want it to do this. Yeah. Um, so that's cool there. So so really selecting your privacy settings, knowing what is the is important. I mean, we've talked a great deal and I know that your, your publicity uh, so guru in many ways, as we refer to Mickey in so many ways, he, he's keen in terms of a number of his authors. They talk a lot about artificial intelligence and the danger of, dangers of yeah. artificial intelligence. It's a very hot topic. I mean, we're living in this world where people sort of say, will the machines take over? Will we head to this? It's getting that balance between presumably assuaging the fears and concerns of perhaps the more mature customer, more mature uh, potential entrepreneur, et cetera, with obviously the generation which apps are kind of a natural sort of way, way to operate in. Yeah. So um, if, if in, in, regards, in regards to all that, I, I definitely like uh, agree. And um, uh, the, the, the idea behind it is um, both, there's the part of, uh, the our app you our software users which is like the people creating the app and then there's the end user itself mm -hmm. and um i we've done our best to really make that relationship easy for our clients to then sell their apps or um offer their apps and get the their apps in the hands of many people so um we take i, I can tell matthew that clearly there are going to be an awful lot more people going on skiing holidays and looking to actually get the inspiration <laughs> that you were sort of struck with so you know that that, that sort of goes without saying <laughs> 22apps.com is very much the go-to website as far as this is concerned. Where would you see this being in, let's say, 
I don't know, a year from now where we might have 22 apps for driverless cars, 22 apps for small businesses. You know, we're, <laughs> we're all used to working from home. So the carbon footprint is really dropping. So we're saving the planet as well. Where, where would you actually sort of see it, it, it being? Where would you anticipate? Um, in a year from now, I would say that you'd start seeing 22 apps um, coming into uh, um, as I mentioned, some of the some of the school systems, some of the um, uh, property management places, just more so outside of the entrepreneur arena. Um, we're really focusing right now, though, on um, on sure the small business and entrepreneurs yeah. are getting the tools they need to thrive in this economy. Well, certainly in Britain, we 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 know that actually it's the small businesses and the small entrepreneurs time and time again who actually will step up to the plate and actually develop these things and whether you're actually seeing them from a craft perspective whether you're seeing it from a, a poetry perspective whether you're seeing it from uh, you know, there is a, a, an area where there's a lot of sort of concern and, and drive from that particularly in an, in, in, an, uh, in a year and who knows what the future holds where actually they haven't been able to actually get out on the road so normally we'd find an awful lot of uh, small businesses that we deal with uh, effectively are at the Great Yorkshire Show, the Lincolnshire Show, the various events that are actually there. They've all been cancelled. There are obviously music festivals, all sorts of other areas. And this might well be an area that can really develop and, and, and work with that. Totally. 100%. Well, it's been awesome sharing some thoughts with yourself today, Matthew. I mean, I've genuinely, uh, I think, you know, hats off to yourself and the team. You've produced some some absolutely outstanding material from that. I do have two final questions to actually put to you sure. though, at this particular stage. They're usually critical ones and uh, you know, they open up a whole new thing. So Matthew McGregor, have you had a reasonably interesting Zoomer with us on the program today? Has it been okay for you? Uh, absolutely. It's been phenomenal. What? That's a good start. So the next critical question is, Matthew, can we look forward to connecting again with you in the very near future? Will you return? Absolutely. I'd love that. It's time. It's time for the BBC. No, no, not that broadcasting institution. It's the Big Butterfly Count. And we're delighted to welcome uh, to uh, the airwaves today to actually talk about the BBC, um, the wonderful senior surveys officer at Butterfly Conservation uh, from a village near Dorchester in Dorset. It's the fabulous Dr. Zoe Randall. How are you, Zoe? I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. Well, last year, I think we were excited by the big butterfly, but, but, I can't even say the words now, the big butterfly count. Uh, talk to us a bit about it and why. Uh, I mean, we looked at, I think, over a million butterflies counted last year. Uh, we had the painted lady uh, being sighted. We had small white uh, gatekeeper and so on. Why is this such an important part of our uh, ecosystem observance? Well, I mean, I don't know where to start and I could talk about this all day, really. But um, basically what we want people to do is take part in the big butterfly count. All you need to do is spend 15 minutes um, in a sunny spot and log the butterflies you see. You can go to bigbutterflycount.org to download the uh, identification chart and you can also log your sightings there. You can also log your sightings on the free smartphone Big Butterfly Count app as well. And um, it's vital that people take part in this, you know, the, the UK's largest citizen science project because butterflies are indicators of our wider environmental health. So uh, if butterfly numbers are going up, then uh, that's, that's all good news for everything else. But if numbers are declining, then it's not so, not so good news. And um, so by taking part in this and giving something back to nature, um, that would be absolutely fantastic. 
I mean, we, we found in lockdown that um, people were people were confined to their gardens or, or just local exercise regimes. And, um, and we had thousands of inquiries about butterflies and moths from people that had engaged with nature for the first time in their lives in many occasions, um, because they've had that time and space in their life to let other things in. We've not been distracted by the gym and meals out and running this kids to school and stuff. So we've had much more time to take notice of, of our, you know, our immediate environment. Now it runs from today, obviously the 17th of July through to Sunday the 9th of August. Um, this again, presumably all tied in with uh, a period where butterflies are pretty much at their most abundant uh, across the, uh, the land. Absolutely. And, and again, um, we had an, an early emergence for many species, 53 out of 59 of our resident and migrant species had emerged by the end of May. Um, this is the first time that's happened this century. And so what we want to know is these species, the single brooded ones, if they are, they came out early. So are they going to still be around now for the big butterfly count or are they going to be petering out and tailing off? Um, and then we've got other species which have done really well in the spring, um, which are small tortoise shells, peacocks and, and some of the whites. And they are sort of they have more than one brood a year. So what we're interested to see is if that good first brood is going to lead to a bumper second brood. So for species like the small tortoiseshell, which has declined by 79% since the late 1970s, if this year that butterfly has a bumper year, that's great news and it shows a, a bounce back for that particular species. And were you surprised with the, uh, I hesitate to use the term winners, but uh, most popular uh, aspects last year? I mean, the, the, the painted ladies we mentioned, uh, I think coming in at number one, the peacock, the uh, small white uh, and so on. Um, or is it just a case of, well, things will change depending on how predator-prey relationships change? Well, exactly. And also weather patterns as well. I mean, uh, you know, the painted lady, it did have a phenomenal year last year um, and they do have really um, big booming migratory years sort of every decade or so um, which is what we had last year I personally haven't seen any painted ladies this year um, but what I have seen is loads of peacocks and absolutely loads of brimstones and in fact last night I, I was feeling a little bit uptight about this you know a little bit stressed about today's all these interviews today and the launch of the big butterfly count because it's so important I was out for a sunset walk and I came back, it was 20 past 10 last night, and I saw this thing fluttering around and I immediately thought, oh, it must be a moth. But on closer inspection, it was a brimstone butterfly. And, you know, so I saw a brimstone butterfly at 20 past 10 last night. To me, that's a sign of good fortune. And butterflies are quite often seen as, uh, you know, um, beacons of hope and transformation and everything, which is you know, which is what we really need at the moment when our lives have been turned upside down and everything's so topsy-turvy. So please take 15 minutes out, count some butterflies, you'll be amazed, you'll be relaxed, and, uh, and it's really good, good for your mental health and well-being. And also you can give something back to nature by taking part in the big count. Indeed, it's the world's biggest survey of butterflies, of course. Uh, and that's just to uh, quickly remind folks, if we can, uh, the best way to actually do it, obviously, butter, bigbutterflycount.org is the best website to go to, presumably, where they can download the app and so on. Absolutely. Well, that's where you can log your sightings and download the ID chart and you can get the, your, um, the Big Butterfly Count app from your app store, be it um, you know, the 
Android or, 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 uh, or Apple. So, uh, yeah, it's available for free. Big Butterfly Count app. And once you've actually wrapped up this whole sequence of media-based interviews, will you be out in the field in a sunny area uh, using your 15 minutes again today to effectively do some butterfly watching, Zoe? I absolutely will be. And uh, I doubt I'll get 15 minutes today because it's back to back. But uh, <laughs> but I will be taking part and, and hope that, you know, millions of people out there will do, particularly if they whet their appetite by seeing the butterflies uh, during the lockdown period, got some benefit from them. And uh, yeah, hopefully that they will be raring to go and ready to take part. Dr. Zoe Randall, Senior Surveys Officer at Butterfly Conservation. Happy Butterfly Watching Day. Absolutely. <laughs> the Midweek Drive continues okay. ever onwards and we've got basically a terrific trio of wonderful folk who have uh, proven that they deserve to have uh, commendations above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, it's the first time we've actually had them together on the same show for a good few years actually. But first of all, we welcome in the order in which they entered our Zoom room, Sarah Huntley back with us. How are you, Sarah? I'm very well. After yesterday, thank you. It's just a day early. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, you, do, you don't hold that record. You're the second person who came to us a day early. Uh, but so far, the uh, managing director of the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra, who came to us a week early, holds the record. But these Californians, they're always ahead of the game. You know, always ahead of the game, which is, which is very good. We're doing part two next week. Uh, second into the room. Well, actually, before we introduce second into the room, I think we'll, we'll go with this. Graham Harper, of course, after awarding the director. Graham, actually, uh, I want to inform you that Sarah has something upon her person that she's going to actually show at the show to the computer. And I wonder if you can actually see the, 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 the significance of this new feature, which we're going to refer to as Sarah's geological oddity, otherwise known as Sarah's stone. <laughs> Would you like to hold up the stone, Sarah? Do you like me to do it now? I think I so. Think. I think so. We'll, we'll, we'll hold up the stone now. And it's very exciting. And here is, here is the stone being held up now. I'll describe it. It's basically got uh, uh, September 86, Minehead, a very happy time, golden oldies. Graham, have you any idea whatsoever about how, what that refers to in your past? I do. Um, uh, so um, I've got to remember the name of the song now, but, uh, Paranoid by, um, oh, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, thank you very much. And I was doing, um, I was offered a chance to do a, 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 a video for a song that never had a video in the, when it came out in the 70s or whatever. And um, I chose this song and uh, I decided to do a really bizarre, strange sort of love story between uh, two young, beautiful people against a strange background of faceless yeah. wonder uh, on a train. And we went to Minehead to do it. It was 1,500 quiz worth. I'm sorry to tell you that, Sarah, because you probably got none of it. But it was very, very low budget. And it was wonderful. I had such a laugh with these two, Colin Spall and Sarah Huntley. It was brilliant. It was a wonderful. It was our first. I knew Colin for a long time before because we were at drama school together. But the three of us have known each other for so, so many years now. It's terrific. There you are, you see. And that leads us to our third uh, contributor today, uh, ace horse racing commentator, general all-round wonderful person. Uh, the one so who actually, when he was forced at first introduced to uh, our radio up in the northeast, said, Sarah Huntley, what do I want to go to some sort of radio station for, you know, on some sort of Saturday when it's my only day off, for goodness sakes. Since then, he's stuck with us. It's Malcolm Tomlinson. How are you, Malcolm? 
Hey, very good, Alex, and very glad I went along, despite the fact it was a Saturday morning and we had two shows that day. We had a matinee <laughs> and an evening show. Yeah, well, who could refuse Sarah Huntley, particularly when she gets the stones well. out? Um, move, moving on, uh, Malcolm, you've been already busily out and about today doing horse racing commentary, I believe. I have. I've been at the local track down the road at Beverly, which is only a mile from my house. I could walk it if I was so inclined. But um, under the current COVID rules, we have to turn up in a car, would you believe? So I'm not allowed to walk to my local track. But uh, yeah, no, we had... Uh... Sorry, Graham. Not a penny farthing. No, <laughs> not a penny farthing, no. Now, I'm just trying to think, what, the last time I saw you, Graham, was that when I rode in that charity race at Newmarket? Yes. Gosh. Yes, and I believe your, your daughter came as well. I think that she was did. That's right. Do you know that's eight years ago? That was 2012. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem I, like I it, don't know it? where the time goes. No. <laughs> and who would have thought back in 2012 that in eight years from now we'd be connecting together via the medium of a computer? It's amazing. Um, <laughs> moving on, a little question for all three of you. Have you all seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Yes. yes, long time ago. Excellent. This is good because Richard Fitzwilliams, who's not joining us now, but he will be doing his review tomorrow, is looking at Chariots of Fire as his, his movie of the week, classic movie. Now, I re-watched re it, and I'm just wondering whether in the current climate, would it actually need to be reworked? Because it is a very white movie. It's a very white, privileged male movie. Should we actually rethink the whole thing and, and go... I mean, Graham, would you remake Chariots of Fire? Um... Not desperately, and I wouldn't change a thing. Okay. Uh, because it's a very white story. It is. I'm just thinking, in terms of diversity, it could open up a whole range of things. Malcolm, would yeah. you be... Because you've always struck me, Malcolm, as being the kind of Nigel Havers brawl in Jarrett's <laughs> Fire. That's, that's well, the line. I think, I think Sarah and I could both have been in that. I could have done the Nigel Havers role, and Sarah yes. could have played the Felicity the Kendall role. She, yeah. So, you know, that would have been perfect. But <laughs> the, tra the tragedy costs... It's about historical fact, isn't it? I mean, yes. I, well, it is you... and it isn't, because actually looking through that, I found that it wasn't Harold Abrahams who actually won the courtyard race in the first place. It was actually Lord Burley. But the reason Lord Burley actually wasn't featured in the film was because he refused to actually take part in it, and a poor, because he believed that David Putnam was a socialist. So you see, even in the 1980s, you had okay. these issues at work. Um, slight correction, Felicity Kendall was not in Chariots of Fire. Alice Krieg was. Alice Krieg was oh. the actress who had the uh, relationship with Harold Abrahams to the extent of actually saying, for goodness sake, Harold, if you can't take a good beating, it's come to you know, an odd thing. And, and that's basically sort of the, the, the summation of, of life, really. Okay. I could have sworn she was there. Didn't she play um, Bilbo Baggins' wife? Um, <laughs> that, that lovely actor who died recently. Sorry. Um, Ian Holm. Ian Holm. Sir Ian Holm. Didn't yes. Felicity Kendall play his girlfriend or wife or something? Uh, no, because I think he was single, uh, but in <laughs> because he played the character okay. of the trainer, Sam Musabini. This is why he works well. I'm, I'm, getting, well. I'm, yeah. I'm pleased I'm getting mixed up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but certainly having Bilbo Baggins in uh, <laughs> of the, uh, a remake of Chariots yeah. of Fire would be quite interesting. Sir, sir okay. your thoughts? Yeah. Would, we, would you go for a remake? Not at all. Not at all. Mm. I, I would keep it exactly the same. And... Um, I'm probably going to be very unpopular if, if that's such a word, but I, I think there's too much. It's history. History is history. You know, what as Alan Bennett said, I, what's history? One bloody was it? One just one bloody thing after another. Thing after another, effectively. 
which I kind of think we're going through at the moment rather rapidly. But you know, what, what are they? What are they going to? The inequality between a Jewish guy and a white wasp guy. I, I, I don't. I was just. I, I was just because clearly. Um, Prince Harry, of course, Harry, for one of the Meghan's, has, has gone on record as saying, I think we need to revisit and re, re, rechange our past from that point of view. I just thought it was interesting. I thought I'd bowl it out there as an initial thought, because it brings me to the next question, which is, what historical figure would you most like to see have a biopic made about, featuring either yourself or others? Which historical figure would you sort of say, yes, ultimately, if I could choose... Over the millennia, I would go for this person. Graham, what about yourself? Or, or, or would you like to make a, a particular bar? Because I don't think, if, if, if memory serves, Graham, you haven't done any real-life, well, dramas featuring real-life characters from history. Oh, I think I have. Have you? Um, uh, yeah, there, <laughs> somewhere there will be one. Um, I, do you know who I'd really like to, I think is interesting, is John Buchan. Now, he's probably not yes. a very historical character, but... Well, um, he, he was responsible for 39 he, steps. I, I think, I would think, yes, I would think um, John Buchan. Yeah, nice call, Graham. That's, that's lovely, John Buchan. Malcolm. Where are the 39 steps? <laughs> oh, I can't remember. They're, they're, I remember the story. That's a crucial remember. question in the um, film, isn't it? Well, the 39 yeah. steps is the code. The 39 steps. Ah. Yeah. Uh, it's well actually done, the, it's, it's in Mr. Memory's brain, isn't it? So it's actually... Yeah, that's right. The, you see, whether it's Robert Donat, whether it's uh, the man who actually, whether it's Robert Powell, whether it's any of the 39 Steps actors and so on, you know, Sarah's on the case. It's very important. Absolutely. I put it down to the stone. I think that's very, that's, yeah, that is the, the sort the of line. From, the stone. The stone. Yeah, well, <laughs> they could probably actually use that particular stone from Minehead for their next album cover, because let's face it, they're continuing to go on tour and so on. Um. Graham, I'm going to open it up, up to yourself now, because obviously you are the director from this point of view. You've got two fabulous actors here. What sort of roles would you see them actually heading off for in terms of... I mean, obviously, Malcolm, have you worked with your daughter Eleanor as yet? Not yet. I'd love to do that, obviously, but um, okay. she's a bit more high profile than me. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> but no, hopefully one day, whether it's on stage or TV, I'd, I'd love to do that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Sarah, I don't think you've gone into an operating theatre with Imogen as yet, but it's, it's a possibility, really, <laughs> I would have thought. <laughs> a very funny thought, though, which is quite... Because well, you think, I really feel old now. But um, my daughter wants to be an anaesthetist. And, and you the, were Rosie the anaesthetist. I was Rosie the anaesthetist. And so I had, I had a group of year three medic students and I went, hey, everyone. Oh, 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 I'm trying not to be. I've got something quite because I can still remember the lines, Graham. Oh my holding steady. And then there was that really funny man with the mask on, which aren't so funny now. <laughs> balloon pump, balloon pump, which made us all laugh. And um, <laughs> so I got this out, an old video, and put it in. And they were just more interested in the fact that it was on a, a video. Yeah. It wasn't on TV. Strange, strange things, video. We don't really know what they are now. Everything is. And I said, well, I wore scrubs and thanks to Graham, I was in casualty in Bristol and I, I pretended I was a doctor and they just said, mm. <laughs> <laughs> You see, that's the challenge with the millennials. It's, it's working through that. Malcolm, I'll, I'll come back to you with respect to that and also Graham, but it, I just want to diversify slightly to a, a chap I was actually interviewing just a few moments ago uh, from Canada. 
and he's 22 years of age and he's just actually set up his first, um, well, his, his third company actually, he's an entrepreneur, five years in marketing, it's called 22 Apps. He came up with this idea whilst he was skiing and as he was going down the hill, he basically sort of had this idea of, I want to ensure that websites are things of the past and everybody should have an app to actually promote their own aspects, etc. Does that make us feel chronologically gifted? Does that, you know, when you've got 22 year olds coming up with multi-million pounds, multi-million dollar schemes, etc. Do you think, oh, that's okay. To be fair, I did actually point out that he started 10 years after Mozart started composing his first symphony. So on that point of view, he was, he was quite happy. But, you know, your daughter and indeed Ross, yourself, etc. are doing wonderful things. Do you sort of tend to think, Malcolm, well, we, we sit back, let the, the next generation go? Or is it a case of, no, we'll keep on going? I'm just very to... impressed that this guy has an idea like that going down. Was he going down a black run or a blue run? Or... <laughs> I mean, that, that's seriously impressive. I, 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 think, I think kids are great. I mean, just let them loose. I mean, they're all, you know, my kids are doing great stuff and great work. And, you know, Sarah, so Sarah, so Sarah's, yeah, you know, yeah. let them loose. Let them at it. Yeah, great. Let a thousand flowers bloom. That's the important thing. Uh, Graham, back, back to that particular routine. You're looking as Malcolm leaves us to obviously sort out the window or some such stuff. Um, which, it's the joy of actually having some visual routine. I drop my blinds. <laughs> You'll pardon the expression. <laughs> so, so Graham, where, where would you envisage, you know, where, where your casting director hat here? What in an ideal world, you know, if basically, let's say Matthew McGregor from 22 Apps says he'd like to invest heavily in a motion picture directed by yourself, Graham, what characters would you cast Sarah and Malcolm as? Do you want to come back to me for a second or two? Yes. Uh, I, I need to think about that. Exactly. Not because it'll be very difficult, but I don't want to insult them with something that's uh, <laughs> out of the air rather than something I've thought about. Yeah, I think, I think so. Oh, Sarah, any thoughts on your historical figures yet? I mean, Graham's cut plump, plump for John Buchan. What about yourself? Um, well, I, I, one of the programmes I'm addicted to listening to, on an app, actually, um, is um, Last Word, um, which sounds a bit morbid, but I find it quite fascinating. It's about an obituary programme each week that goes out on radio. What am I allowed to do? Yeah, um, there are other radio stations available. That's perfectly and, okay. Um, and what I find so fascinating about it is it's sometimes people that you don't know, um, that you listen to with what they've done. And I don't know. I'm just very aware that I'm going to do lots because I don't know how much longer we've all got and um it kind of brings it all a few months ago i thought it was all over for all of us but here we are <laughs> and, uh, some of the most fascinating people have been people who have um i don't know invented something or struggled for something not necessarily the people that you we would know and then again there's lots of people who we know but you find them listening to their lives and it's not the thing that you're listening for it for, that you know them for it's something quite amazing that they've done which then led me to um, as having a sort of nostalgic trip. And I went into YouTube and looked up um, This Is Your Life and how many people are on that as a joke. For somebody, I was trying to find something. And I think that's what This Is Your Life did all those years ago, that suddenly you'd have somebody who was, um, I don't know, had developed their life to the, the bumblebee or something. And, but actually, <laughs> you know, that person that had done that was really, really inspiring i would want to i can't think off the top of my head but i would want it to be someone that you really felt inspired by 
obviously I'm fascinated by actors and I watch, you know, I, I find, I tell you who I have, I tell you who I have do find very interesting is um, now I'm having a memory moment. <laughs> I find very interesting, don't think about it and the line will come. I find, um, you know, the, 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 not Michael Palin, um, the, the people that, um, this, is, this is turning into a quiz for everybody now. Uh, the, <laughs> Could, could you sort of, could you, could you... Jonathan Miller, Jonathan Miller. Right. I find Jonathan Miller absolutely fascinating because I've read his biography and um, he feels he had, he didn't succeed in anything. He didn't succeed as a producer or the director and he, he didn't succeed as a, a doctor. What? And I just want to say to him, well, look, look at what you've achieved. And he was constantly... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah, he, he's dead now, Sarah, so that's okay. You know, we can actually sort of work our way through that. He'll be listening down and saying wonderful stuff. You, I, I yeah. showed you this this particular thing, Sarah, last time. It's a photograph, by the way. I think I'll show it to, to Malcolm Gray. Sarah's first ever experience in the, the radio studios at, uh, <laughs> at, 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 at Southside Broadcasting. There Wait. we are. Yeah, yeah. Where was that? All sorted through there. We don't know what happened that's to the good. actor. We can't even remember his name, but that's okay. Tell <laughs> me again. There were a lot of bats. Yes. Yes. A bit higher. Oh, yes. I can't see. Speak, Alexis. I was just that was a beautiful radio material here in which we're actually holding a photograph up to a camcorder, indeed to a camera thing connected with a Zoom package. No, I don't know him. No, that's quite all right. I think his first name was Peter. I could look back over the records. But then again, it was over a quarter of a century ago. Malcolm, any thoughts from yourself in terms of historical characters or indeed folk you think, yes, actually, that's the person I'd always like to, to sort of see a biopic made about, or I'd like to focus on that? Well, do you know, just maybe including what we were talking about earlier with Chariots of Fire and maybe on a sporting theme and maybe being politically aware as well at the same time, um, why not Jesse Owens? Let's, like let's it, have a very good. Film about so him. I have to point out, Malcolm, if you were portraying Jesse Owens, it wouldn't work, <laughs> not in the current time. It's not, go don't even go there. Just step away, <laughs> step away from that particular routine. It's, no, uh, I, don't mean I don't mean carry on Jesse Owens. I mean a proper <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's free I'm form. ready now if you want to come back. It, it, it's like Italia Conti improvisation or, or Lambda improv. In action here. <laughs> Graham, you've had a few moments now. Any thoughts in terms of Malcolm there, and Sarah? There, is, there are lots of things I'd like to do. However, when I first started um, the director's course at the BBC, um, there was some, I'm, I'll be as quick as I can, but there was, um, I was really, really awful uh, in the course at doing live magazine programs. I didn't do a live magazine, it was, it was pretending to be live, but there were opt-ins and opt-outs all over the place and all over the country, which was... Nationwide. Yeah, it was a sort of nationwide, and I really failed. So I said to the course when I finished, and I'd come through and I'd got me on this as it were, I said, can I come back one day and just do a whole series of um, magazine programs. I was never going to be a magazine program kind of director. I wanted to do drama, but I wanted to really know how to do it. So I wouldn't be afraid of doing live. And I still am, and I've never done live television. I don't want to. However, um, they asked me back, and the course was 12 production assistants, you know, the, the continuity guys and uh, whatever. Uh, it was 12 
trainees with one director and they each had to sit in um, and do the same moments or the same scenes or whatever with me it was and I cracked live magazine programs and they said we'd like you to also do a drama so they gave me an hour to do a drama make an hour's program and all these guys would sit in doing five minutes each or whatever so I chose an adaptation of um, Bly Spirit Mm. I love Bly Spirit. I knew I would enjoy, I've always enjoyed Noel Cobb, but I loved doing Bly Spirit and I loved the characters, Charles and Elvira and also Madame Marcati. So I would say that I would love Malcolm to play Charles yeah. and Ooh. Sarah could choose. I think she'd be wasted as Madame Marcati. I think she'd be a fantastically... No, I don't think I, you'd be one. I think, I think we're going to be very pleasant. Cool. I'm too old to play those now, but I... No, it's a radio, Sarah. We do not always play old Radio, and if What's-Name can do Hamlet or whatever, I mean, for God's sake. Uh, no, I, I've played Elvira, and I've oh, played... Oh, did you? Brilliant. And I've played Ruth. Um, so, but Elvira is... I, I love that speech Elvira has about when she's... Um, comes back and says, you don't seem very pleased to see me, all those drafty corridors, waiting all that time <laughs> to come back to see you. And then there's that wonderful bit, isn't there, when, actually it would work very well for radio, I think. I think we should, we, we should do that. But I, I love Blood Spirit. But Madame Arcati, look on the bright side. She always keeps saying that, doesn't she? That's the thing yes. that's come to me recently. The bright side. <laughs> You'd be brilliant at both. Why don't we, Alexis, why don't we... Use Sarah and Malcolm playing yeah. those parts and, and do a radio version. Because Malcolm oh, would be marvelous very, 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 to do that. Yes, I'm not be smashing. <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> the technology's up for it. <laughs> yeah, you can play both. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we shall set the wheels in motion. I'll get the uh, the people oh, from twenty two nice apps to fund it, and all will be well with the world. Or maybe not. We'll see where <laughs> things go. Uh, moving on, because time is, is obviously sort of tight from this point of view. Um, just heard, obviously, it may all be over by Christmas. Where have I heard that before? Uh, the whole notion of um, coronavirus and so on. And it wouldn't be a Zoom call without at least some mention of the, uh, uh, the COVID-19 era in which we're, we're based in. Um, I mean, do we think our Prime Minister's lost his marbles? Is he still impacted by the coronavirus himself? Do you think he's just following what Donald Trump is actually saying or the president of Brazil? Or do we just think... I mean, as you've just experienced, Malcolm, we're still driving separately in cars for the foreseeable future. Did you want me to go first? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, he's obviously trying to find a delicate balance, isn't he, between expanding the economy back and keeping people safe. And that's not an easy job. So I sympathise with that. Um, I just think there's a lot of mixed messages going out there and it seems that now economy is taking precedence over health that that's all i would say and it doesn't help if you have certain members of his privileged team who keep him informed and advise him going completely against what everybody else is advised to do you know so um, i sympathize with the position because it's not easy but um i think he's concentrating heavily on economy instead of health at the minute I have another mini confession, Malcolm and Graham and Sarah. Yesterday, as I was passing by outside, I had my first post-lockdown hair trim cut. Woo! Yes, it was an outrageous, <laughs> an interesting experience, uh, which involved me obviously wearing a mask whilst the hairdresser wore their mask. And yes, it was, it was yes, 
we managed to get there. At least I didn't have to book ahead or give details. But I just thought, what the hey? Let's let's go with this. Fine. You get it, Alex. Book ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Sarah. Um, Graham, what are your thoughts? I mean, is, is it just a case of, look, that it's enough to deal with the fact that today sees the launch of the BBC. Yes, indeed, it is. I can officially reveal Butterfly Counting Week. It's basically, it's the big butterfly count that BBC <laughs> has been put together about. And uh, from the University of Lincoln, our very own uh, guest speaker, Chris Packham, has been promoting that today. We've done a whole piece on that. So if you are, uh, if you have spare 15 minutes and fancy going out and about and counting some butterflies, then that can keep you occupied until July or whatever. I think this man is stunning. He's a really, really good uh, presenter of wildlife programmes. I think he's stunning. Um, I just wish Boris would do two things. One is say how wonderful the nursing staff and all the staff in hospitals were, especially where he was. And I believe they saved his life. They gave him, uh, 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 saved his life. So why doesn't he, number one, say, right, we're going to sort out the pay and actually give these people proper pay for doing the work that is not low. It's a very high standard of work and, um, and, and of great esteem. And we, we do care. We've just spent three to four months trying to help and save and protect the NHS. So he should now reciprocate and give something back to them. And he should be honest. And when he's asked questions by the press, he shouldn't fob them off and say, no, 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 and that's enough and you're not going to have a chance to come back. He should try and explain the difficulty he's in and that he's doing his best and try when he's asked questions to give decent answers, leadership answers. We are no, we have no leaders at the moment. We're leaderless to me. It has been said that actually our current Prime Minister is more of a talking teddy bear than actually a world statesman. <laughs> but that's by the by, just a thought to maybe ponder on. Sarah, any thoughts about the, about the political situation or is it just a case of, you wait, if I could go back to Ian Duncan Smith, I'd actually tell him a few things or two. <laughs> well, I think it's quite scary because I, in our worlds, when you know that you've got a show that's not going well and you think, oh God, we're flying on one engine on this show. I, I think the government's flying on one engine. I don't think he's got a clue. I think he's out of control. I actually think all these mixed messages now are almost deliberate because, as you've all said, he's now going switched without saying to the economy v health. And I think it's deliberate. I think it's deliberate. And, and we obviously have <laughs> Boris saying... It's and time to actually go. Up. He would, I think that's actually, it's an awful job for anyone to do. But he wanted it. I'm fed up. He's more of an actor than anyone. I'm fed up with him doing all his Chichilian and doesn't answer one question. And I, I do get very, very angry because all of us have people that we know who've suffered terribly, really terribly. And I, I just don't think he... I, I don't, I wonder what actually makes him think I've almost died and still I'm being hypocritical and still it's one rule for me and it's another rule for everybody else. And as for, don't get me going on Dominic Cummings because I just think, but I think what the problem is, he needs Dominic Cummings. I don't think you can, I don't think he can, all, all the, I'm not getting political, but I don't think any of them are very strong people and I don't trust them. I, that's the scary thing. I don't trust them. I think we'll get out of this because I'm an optimist. But I don't think there's a plan. I don't think that, I think the, 
I kind of believed it in the beginning with all that business and think, well, I've never lived through a war. Perhaps this is what it's like. But I, why aren't we doing all those? The R figure, where's all that gone? Suddenly oh, it's vanished. We were hunting the R figure. It's, it's, it's joined the magic money tree of a few years ago, somewhere along the magic money tree and then the R figure. And maybe it's got a situation where you have the prime minister who says, go back to work. You have the chief scientific advisor who says, don't go back to work. And you have Chris Whitty who says, I don't really know what to do. Can I just tell you a quick tale about Dominic Cummings? Please. Yes. Um, it won't be libelous, but um, I was sent back to work on the 2nd of June, which was quite early because racing started then behind closed doors. And there was a horse making its debut, a two-year-old called Lockdown. And I yeah. thought, oh, and it had a really serious chance. It was the favourite. So I thought, I'll check with head office before I say this. So I phoned up and say, if Lockdown's winning easily... Can I throw into the commentary, oh, not even Dominic Cummings would have beaten lockdown today. And all <laughs> hell broke. All hell broke. No, Malcolm, no, 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 you can't say that. <laughs> so um, anyway, it didn't win anyway. I didn't get a chance to say it, but, you know. Ma Malcolm, we, that's a perfect sort of rejoinder to the whole sort of sequence, which has taken <laughs> us from uh, wonderful uh, multinational setups in the apps world, the 22 apps, through remaking Chariots of Fire or not, through Sarah Huntley's Stone from Minehead, 1986. Not a kidney version, but still very good. Uh, yeah. Graham, as ever, wonderful stuff from that point of view. I think we're all coming back in various sort of guises and so on. In fact, uh, I mean, Graham, given that one of our team can't actually join Richard and myself next Wednesday, do you think we should invite Sarah to actually sit in on Wednesday morning and actually join us with the future of the film industry? Be smashing. We should do. Would you, I'll, would be you doing, be... I'll be doing it from Broadstairs. Whoa, this is this very Broadstairs. exciting. Well, I'm going to Broadstairs. <laughs> is that working? No, I just decided I'd had enough and I'm going to Broadstairs. <laughs> well done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a way forward. And Malcolm, have you had a reasonably interesting Zoomer on the programme today? I've loved the Zoomer. It's been wonderful to catch up with everybody. Yeah, so will you be too. back again before too long? I certainly will, if asked. Marvellous. Oh, absolutely <laughs> essential. Graham, as I say, we're scheduled for Wednesday when we'll be joined with Richard Fitzwilliams. Uh, Sarah Huntley, we've just confirmed now. And um, who else is actually with us? I can't recall. But anyway, we, we, we've got f fine stuff there. The future of the film industry will be the, uh, the talking topic from that point of view. Uh, so we'll progress from there. Sarah Huntley, Graham Harper, Malcolm Tomlinson, huge thanks. Stay safe. And uh, clearly we've got the beginnings, I feel, of the next government cabinet here, because I'm sure we can actually do a better <laughs> job. <laughs>